If you could have over for dinner any three people from any time in history, who would you invite? Someone famous? Your favorite author? A grandparent? I have yet to hear anyone say, the person on the corner holding a sign that says, we'll work for food, God bless you. Suffice it to say, Jesus' guest list often looks quite different from ours. But when your job is to bring hope to the least among us, and your mother sang about the reversal of the social order when you were born, your guest list is bound to be different. Welcome to Sermons for a Critical Faith, a podcast ministry of First Presbyterian Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, where faith is nurtured, curiosity encouraged, diversity welcomed, and all are loved. What does it mean to live now in God's kingdom? What does that look like in real life? And what is the impact if we dare to actually change up our invitation list and seating charts? Just a few things to think about as we hear this reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 and 7 through 14. My name is Carrie Cross, and I'm the administrator for First Presbyterian Church. Listen for the word of God for us today from Luke 14. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were there watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them in a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord still speaking. Thanks be to God. It's a dog-eat-dog world we live in. Regardless of the trend a while back to give participation trophies, we all know that to be anything less than number one means you're a failure. It's not enough for you to win. Someone else has to lose. And we live in a zero-sum world. There's only so much money, respect, honor, fame to go around, and you better get some while you can before someone else steals it out from under you. I've had several conversations these past few weeks with people who are simply depressed as they watch our country devolve into us versus them on the national stage. We've lost our ability to talk to each other about our differences. There's more focus on labeling each other as a traitor in order to win than in finding ways to work together for the common good. 
And it feels like the gap between those who care about others and, and those who care only for themselves is deeper than the Grand Canyon. We certainly see it play out in the political sphere, but it's also there in our workplaces where you better make sure that your boss knows what you contributed to that project versus your coworker if you want any chance of that promotion. It's certainly in our schools. I don't know how prevalent this is today, but when I was in high school, teachers graded on the curve, which meant that there were only so many A's that were given out, and no matter how good the students were, someone was gonna fail. I remember one of my teachers saying, someone has to be on the bottom. It's exhausting because you always have to be on the lookout for someone sneaking up behind you, passing you, or, or trying to tear you down. And it's depressing because is this really the world you want to live in? There's got to be a better way. But it's what we've got and what choice do we have? And yet we do have a choice. In fact, the story of Jesus at this dinner party actually makes it pretty clear. Every time you pick your seat at the dinner table and every time you issue a dinner invitation, you're making a choice about what kind of a world you want to live in. In Jesus' day, the world was defined by social relationships, honor and shame, and very clear class divisions. Dinners were not simply gatherings of friends for a meal. It was a complicated social dance. For example, you could invite someone from the social class immediately beneath you as a way of bestowing favor. But you didn't dare invite someone several classes below you as it would lower your own standing. Those who were most honored were seated at the head of the table where they could be seen and be part of the important conversations with the host. Those with the least honor were at the edges of the table and edges of the conversation. And I think we know how hard it is to be part of a conversation when you're there on the edge. And of course, everybody understood the shame that came from taking the best seat and being asked to move down. So dinners like the one Jesus went to were all about putting one's social standing on display. But in Jesus' world, where the first or last and the last or first and the greatest one willingly becomes the servant of all, those dinners were about as far as you could get from the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, communal meals, were the great equalizer. Jesus tells stories about banquet tables overflowing with food and those who would never be invited in the first place being given seats of honor, which is somewhat ironic because you want to know what the biggest controversy was in the early days of the church and the days that these Gospels were written? It's the issue of who ate with whom. And Paul dresses down the rich members of one of the churches because they would eat the Lord's Supper, which at that time was a full meal, before the poor members of the church got off work. And so when they finally got there hungry and tired, all the food was gone, which just goes to show how ingrained in us are the things we dislike about our own society and how oblivious we are to the ways we reinforce the way things are. 
Would that we lived in a world where you didn't have to be looking over your shoulder, wondering who's creeping up on you. A world where people help each other and celebrate each other and honor each other. And a world where the social divisions of the Roman world and our world are erased. Would that we could choose a better way for a world where the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, burdens are lifted and debts are forgiven. But how do you forgive debts in a world that's built on the exchange of money? How do you erase social divisions in a world where money and power determine access and influence? And how do you embrace hope when the goal of so many is to instill fear? It's a challenge. How do we choose a better way when there are so many forces trying to keep us right where we are on this unhealthy path? Well, I think we start the same way Luke starts his story. Jesus noticed. He noticed how the invited guests behaved and how they jockeyed for the best seat. He basically said, don't play their game. A world predicated on zero-sum and limited good and limited resources and power over others doesn't lead to joy or life, and it doesn't free you from fear and anxiety. In fact, it's just the opposite. It amps it up. God desires so much more for you. God desires you to know abundance in your life. God desires for you to know freedom and joy and love. So pay attention to those things that work against that. Take notice. Notice what brings joy, not just to you, but to others. Notice what saps joy. Notice what lifts people up and what tears them down. What celebrates the humanity of another person and what objectifies them. Notice when people are motivated by fear. And notice what it looks like to be motivated by love. You see, so often what we do really is motivated by fear. Fear of what someone else will think of us. Fear of, of losing something valuable. Fear of tomorrow. And rarely does fear lead to choices that bring us joy. So pay attention to what's going on around you and what's happening inside of you. And then choose wisely. Choose what kind of a world you want to live in and act accordingly. If you want a world that's marked by generosity, then be generous. Don't invite to dinner those who will repay you. That's just perpetuating this debt and obligation pattern that's so ingrained even in our own society. I'll never forget talking to my grandmother when I was in college uh, and telling her about some friends who'd invited me over for dinner. And she said, you will return the invitation, won't you? We pray in the Lord's Prayer that all debts will be forgiven, even as we forgive the debts of others. So let's be literal about that and make a point of including in your invitations those who could never repay you and who might never be invited. You know, who is forgotten? Who is invisible? Who is rejected? 
those are the ones to put at the top of your invite list because they're the ones Jesus put at the top of his. If you want to live in a world where the social divisions that box us in are no longer there, then open up the boxes and invite those who would never be invited. Jesus said, take the lower seat. Let someone else be honored. And if the host calls you up to the best seat again, well, wonderful. But if not, remember, it's not about you. God sees you, and you will be blessed regardless. Because remember, God's world is not a zero-sum world. There's more than enough for everyone. Honor and your place in God's eyes is not in jeopardy if you take a lower seat. In fact, it grows because you are embodying God's hope for the world. So how can you lift someone else up? How can you celebrate someone else? How can you make someone else or help someone else feel like they belong? You know, I think a lot of us wish this world were different than it is. We wish people were more loving and compassionate and kind and generous. And it can be. It just starts with you. If you want a world that's more generous, be more generous. If you want a world that lifts people up rather than tears them down, well, who are you lifting up? And what are the ways you subtly tear people down? How can you change course? And if you want to live in a world where people seek to understand each other rather than destroy each other, well, what steps are you taking to understand someone that you're at odds with? See, as much as we wish God would just snap God's fingers and all would be just wonderful in this world overnight, we know it doesn't work that way. Rather, we are partners with Christ, breaking down walls that divide, lifting up the brokenhearted, and sharing the abundance that the world and God has to offer. Which means we really do get to choose what kind of a world we live in. You're probably familiar with Reinhold Niebuhr's serenity prayer. It's very common in the AA community. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I think a lot of us hear that prayer and literally ask for the serenity to accept the things we cannot change because we look at this world and we say, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm, I am stuck here. We have no control and no power. But listen to the earliest version of Reinhold's serenity prayer. God, give us the courage to change what must be altered. Serenity to accept what cannot be helped. And the insight to know one from the other. You see, in the one we are more familiar with, there's an out there. You can throw up your hands and say, there's nothing I can do to make this world better, so God, give me a sense of peace about where we are beyond my ability to do anything. 
but in the early version of the prayer, there is no out. Reinhold would have you pray for the courage to change what must be changed, whether you have the ability to do that or not. But pray for the courage to do what needs to be done. And when you pray for that courage and then you act on that courage, you start to discover abundant life and joy in your own life. Because you'll discover you aren't helpless. Maybe you won't change the whole world with one generous act, but you will change a life. Maybe you won't heal political divisions that threaten to tear our nation apart, but you can create a safe place for curious conversations. We have to support each other in these efforts because it isn't easy. Well, first, it's not easy because you're probably gonna find yourself going against some of the ingrained way, uh, ways of the world that you aren't even aware have power over you, which makes sense because you know, it's the world we were raised in. We, we don't shed its influence without effort. And sometimes we're just oblivious to it. It's been so much a part of who we are. But second, it's hard to change the world all by yourself. So surround yourself with others who also long for a better world and are willing to try and do something about it. You know, fear tries to convince you that you can't do anything. So you need the support and encouragement of others to combat that fear. And they need your encouragement and support. So talk about the challenges of choosing a better way with your friends. They're facing the same challenges you are, so you can lift each other up along the way. Admit when you fail, because you will. We're not always going to succeed. And you're going to need the encouragement of others to try again. And brainstorm ways to make a difference, because there's more you can do together than you can ever do alone. We worship one who took the lower seat and invited outcasts to dinner. We worship the one who said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We worship the one who made us a community so we could encourage and support one another. And we worship the one who shows us that even in this messed up world we live in, we still have the power to choose a better way. It's not always going to be easy. And it won't always be smooth sailing either as we go against the norms of our society. But it's worth the effort. Because the more we do that, the more we are changed. Before we know it, we're carrying some of that world we long for with us everywhere we go. It touches those around us. And then they too get a taste of what God hopes for us all. So pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention to what supports God's intent for us and what doesn't. Choose wisely 
what kind of a world you want to live in, and then act accordingly. Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.